Dr. Taraya Kanafani is by my side on the couch. She is a clinical psychologist based at the Human Relations Institute and Clinics. Now, we've been talking about gossip and how that can hurt and harm and how to manage that situation if somebody's gossiping about you. We've also been asking you this morning about crying in the office, in the workplace, and whether you think that's a good thing and whether it's okay to do that. And lots of people have different opinions on this, but overall, I think people think... It's good to show your emotion, but you have to also harness your emotion whilst in the workplace because there are other people trying to work. There may be deadlines. You also need to get things done. And, you know, if something awful happens to you, bringing it into work might not be a good thing. Your thoughts, Dr. Thraya? You know, it's a very hard question to answer, to be quite honest. But my I'm going to have to say my opinion on the matter, but is is more on the lines of if you're not feeling okay take a sick day and and stay home and just work through whatever you need to work through not because it's unprofessional or you shouldn't do it and you know it doesn't look good not because of that if you cry at work but it's more because depending on the work that you do you might be affecting others so for instance, as, as a psychologist and for a lot of the psychology interns that I work with, I tell them, leave your issues at home or leave them at the door. If you have a problem and you can't get through it, if you're not okay to be here, don't be here. Go home and stay home and work through your issues. I have no problem with that. But don't bring it in because you're dealing with other people's issues. And if you start crying mid-session because that what the person is telling you reminds you of your life, then you are not helping the client and that's our job. So if you can't work effectively, then I think at that point, that's when you need to say, I need to take a break and I need to stay home. So it really depends. Like I'm gonna, for, for me personally, I have, with my line of work, I have to say, um, sort of rein it in hmm. you know, and harness it. And if you can't, then stay home. But in other situations, I think it depends. It depends on what happens. It depends on a whole bunch of other things. But I also think there's a time and a place for certain things. It doesn't show weakness. It's not you're, you're weak or fragile. You have a weak personality if you cry at work. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you have to be be very mindful of how you're feeling and why you're feeling that way. And if you need some time off, you need to say to yourself, I need to take a break. And mm. that is what's more important. It's interesting, isn't it? I think also know yourself and how you are in given situations. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, just not that long ago, actually, just about six weeks ago, just before I was coming to work, I was walking my dog and my cat got run over and oh. killed in front of me. Oh, and goodness. interestingly, that day I, I did think, and this was at 6.30 in the morning, I've got to be in work for 8, I'm on air at 10. I'm one of those people that can kind of harness my emotion, but I know if I let it go, I'm really going to let it go. Mm. And I actually did think I'll just have to call in, but for various reasons that couldn't happen. So I came into work, but I just didn't tell anybody, just got my head into work, didn't think about it. And dealt with it all emotionally right. when I got home but you know it's a difficult one and yeah, I think course. you know it's about if you know if you can't help it and you cry and then it's also about how people respond to you mm -hmm. in the workplace and I think that you know being sympathetic and being understanding is important a lot of people are saying it's about being true to yourself being authentic similarly for how people respond but I also think there's a line because like we said before if the floodgates open and you're unable to stop 
then what can people do? And then it affects everybody else in that you're working with. Of course. And, you know, it also, it's a, there's a huge difference between maintaining professionalism and composure throughout years and then crying one day yeah. versus coming in every day and just crying over and over again. I mean, there's a huge difference in what we're talking about in terms of crying. Mm. So it's really situation dependent and it's person dependent. But overall, I would say you have to look at yourself and be mindful of how you're feeling. And that needs to come first. And I think it is important to make sure you address any emotions that you're feeling mm-hmm. and not to suppress them. Of course. Because people talk a lot now about how that can affect your overall health and long-term health as well if you're repressing emotions. And as we said before, if you're somebody that has, you know, maybe you take medication, maybe you suffer with anxiety, maybe you have a condition that makes you maybe more sensitive or more susceptible, then maybe that's a conversation you need to have with your manager before any of those issues issues come up so they're aware um and similarly if um you know your hr you have an hr department Mm -hmm. it should be okay for you to share that the other side of it which we touched on earlier is also about if you're you know feeling overwhelmed at work if you're crying directly to do with work and issues at work that's also something that you need to be able to speak to your manager about Mm -hmm. definitely yeah Uh, It's important to be able to talk to your HR and your manager about these things. And yes, we have to be realistic that not all managers and HR departments are open or uh, willing to discuss these things. And maybe they shut you down. Maybe it's it's a big company and it's sort of just, you know, like cattle coming in and working. Um, But, you know try at least try and if you can't get what you're looking for at work at least when you go home there has to be a place where you can relax there has to be something that you can do where you can help yourself if it's not at work if you can't find that support at work then find it somewhere else so let's take a look at this uh, message that's come in dr thuraya uh feeling stressed feeling depressed self-pity yes but um, I'm not showing the others in the office that I'm crying. Uh, and so, you know, it, maybe it's a good thing not to show them that she's crying. But the fact she's feeling the way she's feeling needs to be addressed. Of course. You know, um, I, this is one of the most interesting things about crying is that people usually think that crying is a sign of weakness. And that's why they're scared to show it in front of others. And the truth of the matter is, is that crying takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of strength because what you're doing, what your body is doing is that it's telling you it's enough. And at that point, it's it's because you've held on for so long for so and with so much. So crying is actually not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. But then again, we're talking about we're talking about the sort of the moderate sense. We're not talking that every day you're just crying just randomly, right? We're talking about people that are that keep it together as much as they can and then they they need they need to show their emotions somehow. If it has to if it has to be in crying, has to be at the gym, you know, and it's the exact same thing. And this is what's really interesting about people is that they say, you know, when a person cries, oh, it's because they're weak. But if they go to the gym every single day, every every day every day of the week, every week of the year, then that's strong and they're they're tough. It's actually the exact same thing. They're doing essentially the same thing. They're releasing emotions. They're they're getting rid of what um, what is bothering them. 
But unfortunately, the media and sort of, you know, the Hollywood movies sort of has has gotten us to um, to think that crying is associated with being extremely feminist, uh, feminine, feminine, <laughs> feminine, today. feminine. <laughs> and um, and that is a sign of weakness. So if you cry, it's because you're weak and you can't handle it. And they usually couple that with a lot of, you know, especially the old movies. You know, if anything happened, the woman would automatically cry. And so that was associated to crying equals to weakness. So that's what people look at now. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you if you need to cry, cry. That's not the issue here. If you need to deal with your emotions, deal with them. But there's always a time and place and you have to deal with them in the right way. It can't just be opening the floodgates like Mm. you had said, Suzanne. It has to be that you're dealing with things in the moment because the more you swallow, the worse it's going to get later on because crying can lead to anxiety. Anxiety could lead to panic attacks. Panic attacks could lead to taking medication for it, maybe depression. So you don't want it to get worse just because you don't want people to look at you differently because the truth of the matter is what people think about you is not going to really change the rest of your life as much as what you do to your own body and your emotions. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, stressed, depressed, like this person's saying, then address those symptoms, address those feelings. Um, Don't think so much about or worry so much about what other people think, but deal with that. What's Mm -hmm. your issue today? Um, Just do one small thing that might make you feel a little bit different. Don't try and do everything and and expect big things, but little by little, make a positive change. If you can, if you feel you can't, then please do seek some professional Mm -hmm. help. Um, Nobody needs to feel like that on their own, uh, really. And I think the other thing is that highlights here that comes up is that you know one never underestimate what's going on in somebody's personal life you might work with somebody and never know what's going on in their personal private life and that's maybe a good thing but sometimes if you're noticing changes in their behavior you know a friendly hello how are you and maybe a bit more of a you know chat at the water cooler or making coffee or whatever get to know your colleagues a little bit better because it could be reciprocal reciprocated if you're feeling like that it's just about being aware and considerate for others of course. And most people don't do that because they're scared, because they're scared of what's going to happen if the person actually opens up, because they're scared of not being able to help them. So they don't ask. And this is what usually happens in big metropolitan cities is that people tend to be colder and more distant because they don't because they're like, well, we don't have enough time to listen to this person. We have to do this and we have to do that. And everything is so rushed. But taking a second out of your day, taking five minutes out of your day is really um, it could make a world of a difference to the person sitting in front of you who just needs somebody to say, hey, are you OK? You know, we were talking about gossip and one of our listeners called in and was saying, And it sounded to me like one of the people that were sort of gossiping about him in the office was possibly using that as a way to disarm them. You know, he was saying that he'd helped them in the workplace, he'd helped train them, and now they were kind of turning against him and saying things about him. And again, you know, whether it's crying, whether it's success, whatever it may be, sometimes people can use circumstances against you in the workplace it's a competitive environment so any sign of weakness any sign of vulnerability or difference could be used against you so that all kind of ties into one in some ways regarding Mm -hmm. gossiping regarding crying in the office so some people might not cry because they think it'll make them look vulnerable it'll make them look weak it could be an opportunity for others to undermine them professionally well be the bigger person as that as that listener was and said i've ignored them i've reported it but i've 
continued as normal and just separated myself emotionally from that situation so lots of things to consider now one of the stories and articles that you picked up on dr thry is the voice of reason and maybe through those sorts of situations or any given situation how we speak to ourselves and i mean that in the sense that we all have an inner dialogue our thoughts the way we think and how we speak to ourselves inwardly it could make a difference how we're doing that to how successful we are and how happy we are. Of course, you know, one of the, um, one of the, the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy, so CBT, one of the basis is, is the cognition. So the way we think, the way we speak to ourselves. And one of the first steps that we do with, with CBT is that we try to get people to recognize how it is that they talk to themselves. And they don't even recognize it until we start to bring out all of these different types of negative self-talk. For instance, the six main ones, and we all do them. I mean, nobody is, is um, let's say, safe from these kind of uh, self-talks, right? So we have six major ones. We have the black and white thinking. So everything's either good and bad. It's right or wrong. There's no middle ground. There's no moderation. Um, we have the negative forecasting. So if you apply for a job or you want to apply for a job, you're like, oh, what's the point? You know, I'm not going to get it anyways because I'm not good enough. So this is, you know, you're forecasting something that's negative without even trying yet. Then you have something called generalization or catastrophizing. So if, for instance, you fail at something today, it's I'm a failure. It's cause, because I'm worthless, you know, it becomes a big catastrophe. And then the three major ones that most people use are the helplessness, the hopelessness, and the worthlessness. And with helplessness is I can't do it. Hopeless is it's never going to change. And worthless is I don't deserve it. And so these are the six major types of negative self-talk that we have that a lot of people don't even recognize. Now, they're not mutually exclusive. Sometimes you'll have all six of them working at the same time within one sentence. And so what we try to get people to do is recognize this self-talk. What are you saying to yourself? And how is that affecting how you feel? And how is that affecting how you behave and what you're willing to do in a series of groundbreaking experiments across has found that how people conduct their inner monologues has an enormous effect on their success in life talk to yourself with the pronoun i for instance and you're likely to fluster and perform poorly in stressful circumstances address yourself by your name and your chances of acing a host of tasks from speech making to self-advocacy suddenly soar now this is interesting isn't mm-hmm. it that so within amongst all of this ways that we uh, have our self-talk actually using your own name when you're talking to yourself in your thoughts can make a massive positive difference. Right. And it's not in in the affirmation. So when you're using the affirmations, it's good to use the I. So if you're saying, I'm smart, I'm beautiful, I'm strong, these kind of things, it's okay. It's very good to use the I. and And that same research shows how the affirmations work with the pronouns. However, when you when you're trying to encourage yourself, it's good to use your your name. So if I'm talking to myself, it's it's Thraya, you can do it. Thraya, you just push yourself. It's it, you're going to be OK. Thraya, you can do, you know, so it's it's about recognizing it's almost taking myself out of the situation and speaking to myself as if somebody else is speaking to me. And what that does is that distances me from the um overflowing thought and emotion that I'm going through within the mo- in the moment and dealing with it from a different perspective. You know how most people say you're great at giving advice to your friends, but you can't take your own advice. That's the same idea. So be that friend that would say these things to you. And what would they say? 
So that's why you would use your name and along with the, those encouragers. It's like uh, sort of flicking a switch and they're saying in the cerebral cortex, the center of thought. Uh, so it's science based. It's neuroscience. Um, it can be monitored. It's very interesting. And it really goes to show that what we just do automatically without thinking consciously mm-hmm. in, you know, we're just doing this. Actually, if we could maybe pay, again, more mindful of it, pay more attention to how we speak within ourselves, it could make a difference to challenging situations. We've been talking about uh, the voice in your head. No, our inner voice. Mm -hmm. So how we connect with ourselves, how we talk to ourselves, how we move forward and get success. And uh, according to this article that Dr. Thuraya pulled out from Psychology Today, it says it can make a huge difference to how you discuss and talk within yourself self-talk is what it is called now um somebody texted in robin good morning to you regarding how uh, we were talking earlier about crying in the office and gossip and that kind of thing and she, and this person robin saying that you know it could be a cultural thing and the reason i'm sort of backtracking a little bit to get us back to the voice of reason is that robin goes on to say about a friend that was filipino moved to melbourne in australia and realized very quickly the cultural differences i.e. the Australians are very open very friendly in the workplace Uh, for this person they're used to being more uh, reserved or conservative so this person had to sort of learn some social skills and learn how to overcome what was what she'd known before and change and adapt now it could be anything but whatever the challenges are in your life sometimes just by the way you think and the way you talk to yourself about that given challenge could make a difference to how difficult it really is and how you can overcome that challenge. Of course, and we're not talking about thinking positively and just continuously thinking positively in your life and unrealistically, you know, in flowers and butterflies. No, we're not talking about that. But what we are saying is that changing from the negative to a more positive possibility Change it opens doors to a completely different thing because when when we think negatively and when we negative self-talk, it's almost like it's tunnel vision. It's like we're guaranteeing negative things to happen and then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where negative things happen because that's how we're feeling. That's how we're thinking. However, when we give ourselves a different way of talking to ourselves, we open the possibility of a positive thing happening. It's not guaranteed because that's life. Life is not supposed to always be positive. It's supposed to be positive and negative, but it's about changing your perspective, allowing for more possibilities and allowing for a more realistic way of thinking. And it starts when we're young. Self-talk, it starts audibly during the toddler years, apparently. Uh, The incessant self-talk of toddlers is conducted out loud as a kind of instruction manual, a self-generated roadmap to mastery. Now, we know children role-play, play play out, talk Mm -hmm. out loud. I was just staying with friends in London with their eight-year-old daughter who was wonderfully creative. She's playing and role-playing and amazing imagination constantly. And some might think, you know, if that was an adult, something's going wrong here right but actually that we're encouraged as children to do that to Mm -hmm. open our imaginations to be expressive to communicate to be open because that's how we learn and with that is this sort of uh, self-talk and this spontaneity of course and we have imaginary friends that talk to us you know and so it's it's the idea of 
you know, we, we talk to ourselves as children and we say, you know, put this here and put that there and do this here and do, you know, so, so we're teaching ourselves. It, it's opening our minds to different things. But when, when we get older, for some reason, then all of a sudden that, that positive, um, creative, imaginative uh, road becomes this tunnel where we're like, this is how it should be. And this is, you know, and then we distinguish between, you know, we call it the three selves. So it's the real self, the ought self and the, um, the uh, ideal self. So who we are versus who we want to be versus who we should be. And what that does is that it, it increases that negative self-talk for us. And it becomes something where we say, oh, no, we, we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. And, all, and that trips us and it, brings us, it breeds more negative self-talk. So as children, we don't have that, oh, you should be like this, unless you get it from the parents at a very young age. And then you'll notice that the child becomes more negative and then that leads to more negativity as they get older but usually children are encouraged to be to think outside the box they're encouraged to be more imaginative and creative and 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 to give them all different types of possibilities but as you get older for some reason we have to hone that into one or two maximum possibilities which risks us thinking in more negative ways so the psychologist ethan cross uh, he asked 89 men and women to give a speech about why they were ideally qualified to land their dream job each participant was given five minutes to prepare half were instructed to use only pronouns to describe themselves in a prep document the other half were told to use their given name those in the pronoun group wound up anchored in anxiety apt to see the task as impossible how can i possibly write a speech in five minutes was a typical comment those who used their names felt less anxious approaching the task and felt highly confident. You can do it, Ethan, was a, typ- a typical um, reply or response in the run-up to a speech. So it makes you think, doesn't it? How do you speak to yourself? What's that inner dialogue for you when you perhaps have to give a presentation or you've got something coming up that you're feeling a little bit nervous about or you know it is a big task, uh, a small task even? How do you talk to yourself now good morning to dylan it's good to hear you via the text messages this morning and yes it's good to be back thank you very much and says uh, when uh, working with clients um, dylan says they identify the sound of the self-talk voice so he suggests transform it into a late night jazz radio voice so that it's rich and smooth and warm with supportive and encouraging words that's really nice isn't actually. that a good I idea might steal that dylan <laughs> <laughs> that's actually really great because now you're it's not just that you have to sort of teach yourself to do it to you but you can also hear it back and hear and and consistently like hear it in a way that's very encouraging and very supportive as well yeah so don't be so harsh on yourself we're the harshest critics on ourselves and if you've mm-hmm. got that constant sort of harshness in the way that you sort of talk that inner talk um it could be having really detrimental effects so soften it up a little bit it also can affect our relationships and another article you picked up on along the similar lines but are you tricking yourself out of love you know because of the way that we think about ourselves it also affects the way that we think about others and the way that we think about our relationship and one of the most common things that people in a, in a relationship do is assume they assume about each other they assume what the person thinks feels or thinks about them or feels about them or um, 
wants to do for them. So the the assumption what it does is that it breeds negative self-talk and it breeds negative talk in general. So he's doing this because he doesn't care for me. So now we're either catastrophizing or it's black and white type of thinking, right? Or I'm not worth it. So he or she won't do this for me or like said that. And, and so it becomes this horrible horrible like spiral of of negativity which affects the relationship and one of the most important things that we tell people in a in a in a in a relationship or in a couple we tell them do not assume ask talk communicate because communicate is the most important thing in a relationship and the more you can communicate to each other the less likely you are to have negative talk about the other person as well as negative talk about the other person to yourself Interesting. So put it out there rather than internalizing. Right. And if you are going to internalize, make sure you get your grammar right. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. How you, how you phrase it and how you um, treat yourself really. So, you know, kindness to yourself. Think of it like that. And as you've said, there's different ways that we do this. Make sure that you're connecting in the right way. And uh, just think about, you know, turning situations around by thinking about it positively. So the can-do attitude something I hadn't heard of before but not the I but use your name Mm -hmm. within that Mm -hmm. and it might be okay if you want to have your sort of mantra to use the I but actually in the way you think use your name and you and and it's been it's being shown through scientific evidence it's neuroscience you'll achieve better you'll get better results gender and racial bias can be unlearned during sleep this is a new study Uh, playing auditory cues during sleep partially undid biases raising possibilities of using the technique to make permanent behavioral changes. So as a clinical psychologist, Dr. Thry, what do you make of this? Well, it's an interesting article, to be quite honest. Um, however, one of the things, one of the takeaways I have from this is that it's important to realize that when we're talking about sleep teaching, you can't just expect, you know, there are, there are a lot of these audio tapes that people listen to and then think that their life is going to change or they're going to learn Chinese while they sleep. You know, it doesn't work that way. Um, implicit biases or when you're trying to learn anything new has to first be taught in the conscious and then in the unconscious and so in this study what was nice about it was that they first did a conscious association between positive terms and uh, things that were likely to be biased such as um, African-American faces or um, older older individuals so over 65 and so they coupled those kind of pictures with positive statements or positive words and once that coupling was um, done while the person was conscious it was associated with a beep and then that beep was reinforced at night during that person's sleep and so what happened was after the next day and the day after that they realized the decline in the in the implicit biases that the person had however over a week they they realized that there was quite uh, a decline so it was only 20 percent better versus the 80 percent the next day so what's what's important about this is that this type of learning is possible but um, it has there. Uh, there has to be a lot more research to show how uh, how to turn this from short term um, learning to long term, and from short term effects to long term effects as well. So when I was revising for exams and I used to le- sleep, I used to put the notes under my pillow. <laughs> Because I don't know who told me, but there was something about how you're just going to retain the information better. Through the paper, through the pillow. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I should have tried that actually. I think. <laughs> but again, it's what you can do in sometimes psychologically. It's those tricks or things that you do that help you that think it, it may not be based on fact, but if right. you feel positive, mm-hmm. you think you've done something positive, then it will have a positive effect. And here, what we're talking about is this developing research regarding the power of sleep and what's happening with the brain whilst one sleeps and how we're still taking information in mm-hmm. and i guess you know we know that when we're sleeping in the sense of how we dream um the brain is still active but what they're working on here is that in some ways you might be able to learn something else or even change your belief system via learning sleep learning yes there still needs to be a lot more research done on the matter to to see what the actual effects are but it's great and the, you know the the brain is so complicated we have so much left to learn about it so it's it's a beautiful article it's really nice for people to read and just to understand a little bit more about the brain and about sleeping and how we can learn that way as well and continuing the discussions with shows like this which is hopefully what we do every week is to help you understand a little bit more or maybe change a little bit of thinking or indeed with your questions your stories what you send us every week helps others by hearing that they're not alone or even hearing how you've done things can inspire others so thank you for your messages and somebody here says my affirmation change your beliefs change your reality kind of along the lines of what Mm. we've been talking about today thank you for that and before we go we've still got a good five minutes left but um a couple of things i wanted to share but this one now i don't know about you but i see i don't do a lot of them these days i've done them over the years but you know you're on social media you see these online quizzes or maybe you pick up a magazine and you like to fill in the questionnaires and it's going to tell you about your personality it's going to tell you about the love of your life it's going to tell you how to be a better parent there's many of them out there and one here is well it's really looking and analyzing some of the online quizzes to spot a psychopath of right. all things <laughs> now to put this in context to understand what a psychopath is because you know we've seen the movies like the silence of the lambs um that guy the guy that anthony hopkins played who's a psychopath right um we've seen films we see movies but let's face it let's be honest let's hope they're not common we're not going to meet a psychopath every day i hope well only about one percent of the population has been again diagnosed (laughs) with uh with psychopathy so um that's an estimate but still it's a very small number so hopefully yeah. it's, not, it's not somebody you're meeting on a daily basis. But you may wish to explore a quiz, an online quiz, to spot a psychopath. And interesting with this article, uh, the fascination that people have of the psychopathic personality and the tales and the stories and of course you know i don't wish to be too sort of light about this because of course there are some serious crimes being committed in the world today but according to this writer molly crockett and essie viding they go on to share some of their ideas when it things like films like no country for old men silence of the lambs recent popular books on the topic like the psychopath test and the wisdom of psychopaths they bought uh this to the public consciousness 
nurse nurse claiming to unmask the psychopaths among us to show how psychopathic traits can be advantageous. So again, another article that's slightly turning our perceptions on their head. So psychopathy is a rare and serious personality disorder, which is primarily diagnosed in criminal justice settings. Individuals with psychopathy lack empathy and remorse, do not emotionally connect with other people. They're manipulative. They use other people to their own ends and are often aggressive or violent. Psychopaths are estimated to make up approximately 1% of the population, but comprise up to 20% of the prison population. So could you or someone you know be a psychopath? You know, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Um, however, I do not believe that an online quiz is going to help us spot a psychopath because one of the most, um, you know, under, understood things about psychopaths is that they're manipulative. So if you have a questionnaire that a psychopath can see through, he can definitely know what to answer and what not to answer to get the to get sort of the right results. And one of the most tested and most used assessments in psychology is for testing psychopathy or a part of psycho, at least psychodeviant um, types of behaviors is the uh, MMPI, which is the Minnesota Multifacet um, Personality Inventory. And even that is not 100% accurate because a lot of people fake bad, they fake good. And so we have to consider that these online quizzes are fun, but they should not be taken seriously and they should not be taken as scientific fact because even the personality inventories that are used on a daily basis by psychologists and have been researched for hundreds of years, they are still not at 100% accuracy. And if you were in a clinical setting to be diagnosed as a psychopath, is it going to mean that you are this terrible person that is basically aggressive and a killer? Or are there, is there more uh, line on the spectrum when it comes to being diagnosed? Well, there's a spectrum. I mean, not all psychopaths are killers. Not all killers are psychopaths. So um, we have to consider that we can't say that none of them are are. Um helpable, let's say. I'm I'm not sure if that's a word. But uh, what we can say is that psychopaths are treated in in a different way. Um, They're treated uh, with different types of therapies. And, um, you know, obviously, there's a lot that's involved in in psychopathy that it can't be really, uh, we can't minimize it and be very simplistic about it either. It's a very complicated disorder. So um, when it comes to psychopathy, it needs to be taken very seriously and very, and it has to be proceeded with caution let's say well there we go uh, we've covered a lot this morning including uh, we were just talking earlier regarding um, sleep and the power of sleep and how you might be able to learn things in your sleep or you could be like me when we're revising used to put the notes and sleep under my pillow put the notes <laughs> under my pillow and uh, one of our listeners has texted in to say if we ref- befriend the pillow it sure does become an alarm clock just request it to wake up to wake you up and it sure does. That's something else I've done. You can train yourself to wake up on time. Mm-hmm. Have you done that? Well, I think my body's just, it's, it's used to it by now. I that think that's I wake it, up isn't at a it? Certain time. Yeah. yeah. If you always set your alarm clock for 6am and then you don't, you'll wake up at 6am. But I would like my pillow to massage my head to wake me up. <laughs> like That would be really nice. I'll try that tonight. Maybe <laughs> command it to wake me up with a massage. <laughs> Dr. Thuraya Kanafani, always a pleasure to talk with you. She's a clinical psychologist based at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. 
clinics. We've posted up your contact details on our website and uh, you have to connect with Dr. Thuraya. You can do so. It's based at the uh, Human Relations Clinics at JLT, Jumeirah Lake Towers. Mm-hmm. Until the next time, thank you very much. Thank you.